I want to remind you, we had a great big bowl last week, those who weren't with us. And the bowl was upside down, and we kind of discovered looking for rest without becoming like Jesus is like praying for rain to fill a bowl that's upside down. The posture and the shape of your life is never going to grant your desire. So we've been talking about the rest of your life. And the quality of the rest of your life is determined by the quality of the rest in your life. And finding rest with the God who is at rest because he has made rest as a gift to give to you. The ability to rest, to Sabbath, to pause, to enjoy, to take delight, to connect and to worship is a gift to be received. We often think of Rest and Sabbath as yet another duty. We understand very little of the heart of God when we treat it as more law as we saw the Pharisees did. Jesus is the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of Sabbath. And we see that from creation to redemption. And he follows some radically exclusive claims about himself and his ability to make the Father known with some radically inclusive invitations that we read last week. Come to me, Matthew 11 and verse 28. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. This would have hit his Jewish audience like a thunderbolt. Why? Because the Lord said in Exodus 33 verse 14 to Moses, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And so that gives us, as it were, my sermon title for this morning, The Rest of His Presence. The rest of his presence. You see, in that verse, when Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest. And he's referencing a direct promise that God himself has made. Is Jesus is claiming divinity. He's claiming divine capacity. He's claiming divine identity. He will do this. And he has the means and he has, he has the grace. He has the mercy and he will achieve all that is needed for our rest because he was part of creation and he was the one who achieved what we call our redemption, our salvation. So throughout scripture, both creation and salvation bring us into this invitation from God, a universal invitation. But he says, learn from me. I want you to master the use and applications and habits of my life And he's essentially saying this, if you take on my habits, you will find my rest. Yes, you need to trust me, you need to put your faith in me, but you also need to learn to shape your life like mine. It's no good saying, God, I trust you, but you don't shape your life the way Jesus shaped his life. It's like leaving a bowl upside down, praying for rain, and hoping that the bowl will fill up. It's not going to happen. So the shape of our lives, and the way we position ourselves relative to the reign of God as he calls us to learn from him and live as he did. 
And this call repeats throughout the scriptures and New Testament. And there's many incredible outcomes and blessing, including, you know, powerful, effective ministry, experiencing the love of God and so much more. And I want to take a bit of time to look at this. You see, we hope for more rain. <laughs> it's not the point. The rain is there. The wind is blowing. What we need is to position ourselves relative to that which God is already doing. And we will find ourselves. So thank you for that confirming win. I just thought of the connection there. And the presence of Holy Spirit is the yoke supremely that we are to carry. You see, Jesus' yoke is lighter. He says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's, it's, it's so much easier. Not because he demands less. Jesus is very exacting. Let's be very clear. It's not some easy, I'll make you happy, do whatever you like kind of thing. He's very exacting. It takes a lot to truly follow him. It will cost you everything. But it's lighter because of what you carry. 1 Peter 4 verse 14, speaking even in the context of persecution and suffering and insult because of the name of Christ, he says, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God, listen to this, rests on you. His burden is lighter because of what you carry. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. And we need to see that this was how the life of Jesus unfolded. So when Peter's preaching to a Gentile audience in Caesarea, gathered by uh, the centurion uh, Cornelius, he says this to them, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. Jesus had become quite well known, certainly all the way up to Caesarea. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached and that Jesus experienced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Something activated at his baptism that was released throughout the life of his ministry and it's described as the active presence of God. So in Luke chapter 3, we see his baptism. We go to Luke chapter 4, which starts, Jesus filled with the Spirit, is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to face a confrontation with the devil. He comes out of that confrontation, and he comes in the power of the Spirit. And then as he's reading this scripture in Luke 4 verse 18, we see that he's anointed and that he's released in the gifts of ministry that the Holy Spirit provides. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As we look at that and several other scriptures, we could see that Jesus does ministry out of connection. He does ministry out of relationship. Ministry is... One of the most profoundly Trinitarian realities. I used to think that the Trinity was a doctrine that we all had to tick in order to be Christians, and none of us knew what it meant. You know, it, I mean, who can explain 
you know, one is three, three in one, and all the rest of it. But when you understand it in dynamic and relational terms, Jesus, being fully God, nevertheless chose to do ministry as a new Adam, as one who he called himself the Son of Man, will reveal on earth what it can be like for another human being with a body to give themselves to the full obedience of God and, in a, and release the same ministry from the same Spirit to others. So Jesus does ministry out of relationship with the Father. He says, I do nothing by myself. I do only what I see my Father doing. I speak only as, as He speaks. And out of, as we see, the presence, the power, sorry, the fullness, the power, the anointing, and the release of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' work, his job, his addiction, (laughs) his habit was to stay connected and therefore to stay empowered. And he had these rhythms, rhythms of rest, So that what he did came out of that place of profound connection. And his impact was the direct result of doing this well. So, for example, we read in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, where Peter calls people, he says, Repent, turn from your sin, seek the Lord, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The word presence there is literally the face of God. When, when the Old Testament talks about the presence, it, it, we, we translate that, but the, the literal word is the face. That's how close you are. You're not alongside, you're not above, you're not back to back, you're not shoulder to shoulder. As I was prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, you're face to face. The interesting thing is for Moses, he was saying, God, who shall I say sent me? I don't even know your name. Within a year, he's in a tent of meeting, talking with God face to face. This does not take a lifetime. Many of us think, one day, I'll get close to God. It takes intentionality. And so the times of refreshing comes, says Acts 3.19. The rest, the restoration from the presence, from the face of God. I want to spell out the implications, unpack the application, and then we can have coffee. No, we're going to actually go into a time of ministry at the end. First thing is, it's just so obvious, I need to place my trust in Jesus. This is, these are radical, exclusive claims that Jesus is making, and he's saying, this is what I can do for you, to trust him enough also to, you know, not just to believe what he says and what he has done for me, in my salvation, but to trust the one he trusts. It's crazy to say, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in the people he believes in. (laughs) If Jesus trusts in Father God, then I can trust him. If Jesus connects to and trusts Holy Spirit to bring kingdom through him, I can trust them too. When I do this, becoming a Christian, a follower and disciple of Jesus, I simultaneously, as I put my trust in him, I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's be very clear. And I have the potential from that place to live as Jesus did. He's created it. 
I have the potential to experience the, the presence, the fullness, the power, the anointing, and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. But, and this was in a big slide, take note, I have to become present to the one who is always present. I have to become present to the one who is always present. I have to become a steward of this gift of God's presence, him entrusting himself to us. Bill Johnson speaks of living as a host of the gracious presence of God. You know, someone can be in my house, and I can carry on as if they're not there. I'm not hosting them well. The Holy Spirit comes to me. The moment I put my faith in Jesus, but it's not automatic that I'm filled with his power or filled with him. That's an extra step of intentional life that Jesus modeled. So becoming present to the one who is always present. Now, you've got to stop and think about that a little bit. Becoming present to the one who is always present. So he's here. The wind is blowing. The rain is falling. I'm just not always positioned. I'm not present to the one who is present. I'm not watching, looking, noting, giving myself to this. Hebrews chapter 3 warns about a time when Israel could not enter God's rest because they refused this, becoming present, becoming present. They refused to give themselves to the time and the place they were in. Psalm 95 is what is referenced in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 3. But God was with Israel in a pillar of cloud and of fire. He was with them in signs and wonders, and yet they wanted to be in another time, and they wanted to be in another place. They refused themselves to become present in time and location. They wanted to go back in time to Egypt where they crazy enough with slaves. They wanted to go back in time and back in place. Can I say this to you? The only way you will become present with the Lord is to become present to the place you're in. We saw last week that escapism is the rest robber. You know, who plays Settlers of Catan? There's the robber comes and takes away your commodities and whatever it is. Escapism is the rest robber. He'll take whatever rest you've got. And if I have to be, or I want to be in another place, or maybe in another time, in <laughs> then I cannot rest. If I need to be in another place or another time, I will always be restless. So when I say I become present, no, I'm not God and I can't control my environment all the time, but I can choose to be present no matter what the circumstance, Lynn's, to be present to the one who's always present. If I'm telling myself I can give my attention to God if my circumstances change or when my life improves or on another day or in another place in a different situation in my life, I will never learn what Jesus is teaching me to be present right here, right now. You see, God introduces himself in this book of Exodus to Moses as I am who I am. And it doesn't have the Greek ideas of necessity of being and all that kind of stuff. He's basically saying, 
I am always here right now. You do not have a time. You do not have a place. You do not face a challenge in which I am not here fully, completely right now. Will you give yourself to being present to the one who is always present? I can't tell you the fruit I've seen there just this week. Meeting with people, going into hospitals, encouraging colleagues, time of ministry, two or three times, twice this week, we've met with other pastors, either in our immediate community or from our city. Just slowing down to be present to the one who's always present. Saw tears both times. One time, pastors sat in absolute silence for 15 minutes. Can you believe it? A miracle. And they didn't even want it to stop because we were blessing them with rest. So turn to the person next to you and say, I bless you to be present to the one who's always present. Bless you to be present to the one who is always present. You see, he's always here. He's always here, <laughs> and it's always right now. That's what Israel had to discover. They thought that God had forgotten them in their slavery. They thought God had forgotten them in their desert. And Hebrews 3, quoting Psalm 95, turns every single today into a moment of encounter. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Not in Egypt, not even in the land of promise, but here in this wilderness, in the moment, the place of right now, I pause, I check in, no matter the situation, no matter how vast and dry the desert, no matter how great the enemy, no matter the challenge, I stop and I pay attention to the one who said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I become present to the one who is always present. Some of you are already there. <laughs> That's good. You can ignore me for the rest of the service because you're, at, you're getting to the outcome that I've prayed for. That you're becoming attentive to the God who's here right now. Let me say this. As we do this, what's our application? First, rest in the presence of God. Rest the thought of the face of God looking over your life. Remember, Sabbath rest is a time to enjoy, to take delight, to appreciate. And it's not just the outcome of our work, but it's to take delight and joy in the greatest workmanship of all, the work that our God has done in making us and redeeming us. So rest comes to those who are grateful, who are filled with contentment and thanksgiving, and they're learning to celebrate every blessing. We press into the presence. We enter His gates with Thanksgiving, and he's courts with praise. And so as we begin to move towards that contented gratitude and praise and worship, we find ourselves wanting to worship him. Worship isn't a chore, it is a delight. We give ourselves fully to the glory of delight. God is glorified the most when I enjoy him, because in essence, I'm saying, I don't need some other God to satisfy my soul. 
So David cries out, Psalm 103 verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let everything in me praise His holy name. And he's giving all of himself to celebrating, enjoying, commending, and glorifying all of God. So as you rest in his presence, you find yourself drawn from that place of gratitude, thanksgiving, awareness of his presence into what Psalm 95 describes as a place of stillness, silence, listening, and waiting. Let me say this, and this might sound a bit counterintuitive and weird. But for example, carrying the presence of the Lord in power in a crowd means that you have been all alone at some point in the journey. You want to carry his presence in a crowd, you need to know what it is to go into your closet, close the door, and spend time with an audience of one. You see, when you choose solitude, which is the gift of being alone, loneliness is the fear of being alone, the torment of being alone. Solitude is receiving the gift of being alone. When you step into stillness, we choose to face our own thoughts, our own emotions. See, we're not going to be able to focus on God without becoming honest about what's going on inside of our own soul and spirit. That's why David says, come on, soul, (laughs) help me do this work. But when you want to be still, the noise of your life, the voices that have been shaping you already, have been telling you which way to turn, will suddenly become audible. They have been subconscious up until that point. But now you will start hearing these things and you will go, have mercy on me, God, my name is Legion. Because it will seem like there's just so much going on when you first try and be still. It's just, and many of us panic in that moment and go, I can't face the stillness because I can't face the darkness. We want to be with God, so it's easier to be noisy, which of course there's a place for it. Make a joyful noise to God. Give thanks. But you must get to that place where what is in you and in your soul kind of rises to the surface. Else you'll never be able to purge your idols, the false gods, the things that demand that you enjoy them more than you enjoy the face of God. You see, your idols want to drive you from his presence because they know they can't compete. There's no joy, no true joy, no true glory like what it is to be at rest in his presence. We never struggle to reposition the sail. The wind is blowing. One of the repositioning ratchet marks is the ability to be quiet and alone. To be fully invested in vocal, dynamic, expressive praise, gratitude, and worship. And to give it words, but to also be at peace 
with being alone. So, so, so those of you who don't want this to be a hard sermon, just close your ears now. I want you just to close your eyes, <laughs> the rest of you, want masochists among you. Can I be alone without my phone? I'm serious. Wives, it's not the time to minister to your husbands now with the elbow. Um. <laughs> it's so hard. Because we don't have to face ourselves. We're constantly being given something else to take its place. If I am going to rest in the presence of God, it will be because I've trained my heart and mind to turn to Him. So there is a purging. I rest in the presence of God. Next thing we see in the Luke 3 and 4 is that we rest in the promises of God. Jesus is led by the Spirit into a place of confrontation with an enemy who tells lies as his native tongue. How can you tell the devil is lying? Because words are coming out of his mouth, is how Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks his home language. I need to rest in the promises of God. Luke 4 verse 4, Jesus confronts those lies and he says, man shall not live on bread alone. Matthew 4 completes the Old Testament quote from Deuteronomy, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I rest in the words, the promises of God. The flip side is shown in Hebrews 3 verse 19, where Israel was not able to enter the place of rest because of their unbelief. They did not receive and rest in the promises of God. They resisted and doubted the promises of God. So what do we want to do? We want to go deep into Scripture. We do. If you want to live a life of rest, you need to use your Bible more than your phone. You want to go deep into Scripture. Read it. Read it aloud to yourself. Probe it. Engage it. Meditate. Memorize. Internalize. Reuse. Recycle. Because those things are going to need to stay fresh with you. Searching out the deep things of God. Believe me, is you, if you do that, God will help you search out the deep things inside of you. And those lies, instead of, his, of the enemy, will get displaced by the promises of the Father who loves you. And it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take the things that Jesus has said and remind you of them. You know, so sometimes I sit absolutely still, consciously dead still, physically. I want my body, when I'm praising, I want my body to be at work and help me engage. And, and, and when I want to be still, I want my body to help me. It's no good being physically agitated and thinking that somehow the rest of me is going to be able to get to this thing. And when I want to be at this place, I, I, I discipline myself to sit absolutely still and read God's word. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm walking around with it and I'm punching the air because that's the appropriate response to it. Sometimes I read chapter upon chapter. Sometimes I read one line over and over and over 
again. Sometimes I laugh and shout with revelation and victory, and sometimes I cry in repentance and brokenness. Here's the key. Whatever I do, I let God's word get to me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You don't let his word get to you. And if you're going to rest in his promises, you have got to let his word get to you. Get through your defenses. Get through your noise. Get through your escapism. And you want a habit of letting God's word get to you. (laughs) Not once a year or a lifetime or a week or a day. See, what happens when I begin to honor scripture like that, the dynamic active voice of God, the today voice of God, the prophetic words of God come alive alongside. And so because we rest in his promises, we purge the lies. We break agreements with the enemy's lies that he's planted in our and our default settings, and we say, you will not define me anymore. I'm resting in the promises of God. And then it's so evident in these passages, and I haven't had time to read all these passages. You'll have to go do some homework on this one. But it's so evident that Jesus gets to rest in the power of God. He rests in the presence of God. He makes time to be alone. He rests in the promises of God. and He comes out of that And he is so aware, and people can see he's carrying the power of God. When we become present to the one who is always present, we expect, and that's the key word, we become expectant. We expect his creative and redemptive work to be repeated through us. So the very next chapter, we read in Luke 5, verse 17. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus. Interesting distinction there between the humanity and the relationship. The power of the Lord was with Jesus, accompanying Jesus to heal the ill, those who were ill. (laughs) See, when I learn to find rest in his presence, I will learn to find power from the same source. When I learn to find rest in his presence, I will learn to find power from the same source. He becomes my strength. (laughs) And I can let God do the heavy lifting. And you know the great thing is we we get to acknowledge just right up front. People are coming to Jesus, not to us. I said to a couple of people who met with in different ways this week, let's be clear, you haven't come to me just knocked on my door because you're wanting to meet with God. It doesn't say much about me. It says everything about the engagement that people want to have. And the joy is when I get out of the way and let God do the heavy lifting, I get to see the yoke exchanged. (laughs) I get to see people drop the old burden, and I get to see them put on the grace and the presence of God. And so when I'm a steward of God's presence, ministry challenges 
produce expectancy, not fear. I'm not saying we're not human and we don't sometimes worry and whatever, but the bottom line is your default setting is you're going to that space and you're saying, God is always here, always now. I was at Vincent Pallotti a couple of times yesterday and again reminding those there that God is always here and it's always now and it doesn't matter what's happening, but He is Yahweh. I am who I am and I am here right now. And I let him do the heavy lifting. Because I can't take those burdens off. I can't change one life. But I can walk with the one who can. And I've learned this from Jesus. To let sickness poke the bear of my faith. (laughs) Rather than my doubt. And I'm going to turn to God, just like you have testified this morning, Lindsay, that you will not let this come between you and him. You know what? We won't always get what we want. But in the language of Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, I will let failure produce perseverance and not discouragement. You don't always get what you want doesn't matter. He's with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid of evil, for you are with me. I'm going to ask Adrian to come and lead us through a time of communion. You see, it is out of rest that we attempt the impossible. Who of us could have saved ourselves? Who of us could have offered a perfect sacrifice? None of us. But when we are trusting in the one who says, I am who I am, we find a God who can prepare a table for us wherever we are.